And so I'm excited that you joined us for this series called Live Your Vision. We are very passionate about God and about what he's done for us because we recognize that he has changed each and every one of our lives. And so we're excited about passing that on to as many people as we possibly can. And um, so in this series, Live Your Vision, it's about getting clearer about the vision that God has for each and every one of our lives. And so our goal in this series is for you to get a clearer picture of what the possibilities are, because that's what vision is, is a picture of what's possible for you. And today, we're going to be focusing on you are God's masterpiece. And <laughs> the reason why is because how we see ourselves and our self-image, our self worth has a lot to do with vision, doesn't it? It's like kind of like the beginning in some ways. You have to get clear about who you are and who God's made you to be, your gifts, your abilities, and really own that, which is kind of hard to do. Have you noticed that sometimes? You know, anybody ha challenged with seeing themselves kind of small, some, you know, or discrediting yourself or dismissing yourself? <clears throat> Pardon me. Well, that's why I want to focus on today is having an image of who we are based on who God says that we are. And that's where we want to be. Now, the title is You Are God's Masterpiece because that's what God says about you. Do you always feel like his masterpiece? God is an artist. God is an amazing artist. I don't know if you've looked around at the world around you at some of the things that God's made. Look at a sunset. It's just breathtaking. Hasn't God made some amazing things? You know, look at the mountains, or I'm a big fan of the ocean. I could just, I go to Monterey Bay Aquarium, and I could just stand there and stare. One time I went there, and I, I just cried. I fell to my knees. I was in so much awe of God's majesty and what he made. I literally fell to my, I, I, first time I went there, and I was looking at the, uh, the deep bay or something like that, where it had the, the big, giant orange jellyfish, and there were so many things in there that, I, that took my breath away that I literally just fell on my knees and cried with thankfulness because it made me realize how much I think God is small when he's not small at all. And so in thinking about the wonders of what God made, can you imagine he calls you his masterpiece? Because God's quite an artist. So today I want to give you a little bit of... To, more of a sense of that so that maybe you can start believing that and seeing yourself that way more and more. Um, but let's open the Word of God to, uh, if you've got your Bibles and Romans, or I think we've got the U version up too. So Romans in the New Testament in chapter 12. And in verse 3, we'll, <clears throat> we'll read this verse. <clears throat> And it says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So <clears throat> I kind of want to start off with this, because sometimes when you think about um, self-worth, most of us struggle with seeing ourselves too small, dismissing ourselves, harsh voices, and, and that kind of thing. That's a big battle. You ever, you know, like the self-talk in your brain? Who do you think you are? You're not good enough. You know, think about the noises sometimes, the negative things in our heads that keep us from being all that God wants us to be. 
But what's really interesting is that we can swing both ways. Sometimes we're not aware of the fact that when we struggle with self-worth and how we see ourselves, another one of the struggles in it is, uh, which I've definitely had happen in my life, and maybe we're not as aware of, is when we feel crummy about ourselves, that, that a lot of the ways that we fix that is by looking down on other people. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a dirty little secret we don't really talk about a whole lot. <laughs> oh my God, I can't believe she wore that dress, you know, or <laughs> that's how girls speak. You men <laughs> probably have another, another kind of dialogue about that. But think, trying to fix how we feel about ourselves, and does that really work? It feels even crummier in some ways. You know, that years ago, one of my biggest struggles, and it was one of the most agonizing things, was envy. You know, when I was younger because of comparing myself to other people. And so the way that I would feel better in terms of my sense of inadequacy was, you know, to find ways to put other people down. Not a great way to fix. That doesn't fix it. And it feels really crummy. So it's interesting that God says that word soberly, if you think about what does sober mean? Sober, we kind of think about as being of sound mind, right? Of being reasonable, clear. That's definitely another way of looking at it. So our goal is to have a reasonable way of thinking about ourselves. The fix to the struggles with our self-worth is not being like Stuart Smalley on Saturday Night Live, if you've seen that sketch. You guys haven't seen that? Okay, where he basically he sits in front of the mirror and says, I'm wonderful. People like me. I'm so good looking. You know, he had just like, sometimes you think that. I grew up when I was, you know, um, young, I was really into the positive thinking kind of, you know, school of thought. I was, um, I was in sales and they were super rah-rah about just say positive things and somehow that will fix it. Have you ever noticed that that doesn't work as well as you'd hope it would? Now, the reason why that doesn't work, to just say that I'm so good-looking, people like me, you know, or whatever that is, I'm fabulous, I'm wonderful, or whatever that self-talk. There's even a little girl in a video, she's very cute, if you saw that on YouTube, where she's, she, do, she gets in front of the mirror and she does that kind of Stuart Smalley style. She's cuter than the Stuart Smalley thing. The Stuart Smalley thing, why do we laugh at it? We laugh at it because it's ridiculous, because it's an overinflated idea of ourselves of just like there's a piece of us that kind of knows it's not all true because we are mixed bag people we're not all fabulous and we're not all pieces of garbage the truth is that we're a mixed bag and so we have to get to the place where we where we have a healthy balanced real self-image where it's okay, where we can own the positive, because sometimes that's really hard to do, where we can own what's amazing and wonderful, what our gifts and our talents and our abilities are, but also so that it's okay to look at the bad stuff. Because what's the problem with it just being all positive? For one, there's a part of us that says you're lying, you know, so it doesn't last. It just feels like blowing smoke up your butt, right? You know? <laughs> I can say butt, right? You said butt earlier, so we're... <laughs> so, um, anyway. So you kind of have a sense it's like blowing smoke up your butt when you say that because it's not the whole picture. But also, if there are things that aren't working, 
It doesn't allow us to fix them. So this affects our vision. Our vision is impacted if we think overly positive and we're not able to look at the negatives. Oftentimes that holds people back from what they're able to do. If you can't deal with any negative, you can't go where God's trying to take you because you can't fix anything. If you can't own the positive of the gift that you are, you can't fulfill your vision either. You know, if you're discounting yourself and your gifts and your abilities that God gave you, you're still not going to get where God wants you to go and what's possible for you. So we want to get in a place where we can see ourselves. And so what's the answer? God's word has some answers. Okay. We want to be in reality about that. So let's go to Ephesians uh, chapter 2 and verse 4. And uh, if you guys have uh, Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, I think, see, you can read it up there. Who, who needs to turn the page? Ephesians 2 and in verse 4, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Now, rich in mercy. Do you know what mercy is? Mercy is where God overlooks the faults, where we're not punished when we should be punished for for things. That's what mercy means. So God, it says, and this is the nature of God, is rich in mercy. Praise God he is. Boy, I love that. We need mercy. It says he's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. Now, it says that our sin nature before Christ that made us, that we're dead spiritually, that part of our, of our flawed, broken self without Christ is dead in trespasses and sins. And it says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So it says, in the state of our worst condition, think about what that is for you because we all are aware of it. What is the state of of the place that you have, that you beat up on yourself the most, that you are aware of falling short, that you feel the worst part of you. God says in that, in seeing that, that's the context of it. It's funny how, you know, it's really interesting, I think, where we run from God in our darkest places. Have you ever noticed that? Adam did it in the beginning. Not my husband, Adam, but Adam in the book of Genesis did it. (laughs) I know it gets confusing. I'm married to Adam. So, <laughs> but that's what Adam did in, in his fallen state. And we tend to do that in our worst places, run from God. And truthfully, that's where we need God the most. He sees it anyway. I don't know why we think that running away doesn't see. He's God. Any person that sees our darkest parts, you know what? God sees the darker things clearer than we do even. And yet it says that he's merciful and in his great love. It says, even in the worst state that we are in, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then the, verse 8. <sighs> this verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man, anyone should boast. So I want to kind of break this down. This is huge. So it's saying in the condition of our worst state, the stuff that we are the most ashamed of, shame sucks, doesn't it? Shame is bondage. God does not want any of us to live in shame. It's not helpful. The harsh voices and the beating up on yourself does not help motivate you to do better. It's I don't care what you think, it doesn't really work. Sometimes it works for like five seconds or something. Shame is bondage. The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. God is not condemning you. So why would you condemn yourself? It says even in the worst places, it says, by grace. Do you know what the word grace means? Grace is that you don't earn it. You don't deserve it, but God showers you with his blessings and with his goodness and with his love. That's grace. It says, by grace we are saved, made whole because of Jesus Christ. And that's what's so exciting about Easter. Honestly, next week when we talk about vision and Easter, there is nothing more inspiring for vision in our lives and that we need more desperately than the story of Easter and Jesus Christ. Jesus is a man of, that had vision, that's our example, but he's also, the story of Easter helps fuel us that we can walk out in our vision, that we get that we're worth it. The way that we can know that we're worth it is by looking at the bad stuff, but Christ loved us anyway, just in that condition, and it's by grace. It's not that we deserved it. That's what we need. That's how we can deal with the dark, bad parts is saying, I'm loved this way when I'm seen for all of it and God still loves me. That's how we can deal with it without shame. God sees it and says, I loved you. I gave you my son for it. Jesus Christ's life paid the price for that. That's how we have the freedom to, to have it be okay that we're loved in that state. How exciting is that, huh? I love it. I just love it. It's just sort of like there is so much freedom in that. It says, by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. You're not saved from anything that you did. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's hard to get grace in our brains because the rest of the world, everything's got to get earned, right? The system of the world, you know? And there's, I mean, sowing and reaping is a good principle, but in relationships, etc., there's not, you know, there's nothing like God's grace. So we're conditioned to think that everything's dependent upon what we do. It's hard to get that we're loved just the way that we are. That's why we need God. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we need Jesus. Because if you can boast, if salvation was of works, That's when we compare ourselves. And comparing ourselves is terrible for our self-worth. It's just talk about something that's going to trash your self-worth. But it's hard not to do that, isn't it? It's hard not to look at somebody else and go, either either way, it could be, oh, you know, know, they can sing better. Well, everybody can sing better than me, but (laughs) I definitely don't have that gift. Um... You know, or whatever it is of looking and saying they're, they're, you know, funnier, they're more successful, they're, 
more attractive, they're whatever, do you know, in, in comparing and feeling crummy, or like I say, it doesn't help to go the other way where we put people down to feel better either. It still feels crummy and empty. Um, you know, so this is God. It's just the grace that fixes this, which is amazing. So this is the lead up to the title of the teaching in verse 10, which is, says, we are his workmanship. And as I said on our little sneak preview uh, week service, our practice week, workmanship is the Greek word poema, which means masterpiece. That's what I'm saying is God says you are his masterpiece in spite of all this. How exciting. That's the follow-up to the verse about being dead in trespasses and sins. So in light of that, God says right now, right now you are God's masterpiece. You don't have to do anything to earn that. Right now, God made you as a masterpiece. Of all the amazing things, whether it's at Monterey Bay Aquarium looking at the deep bay or whatever that... um, display is, or anything actually at Monterey Bay Aquarium. All the amazing things that God's done, he calls you his masterpiece. God, the consummate artist. I can't think of any artist or, I, you know, uh, I work in the arts and uh, there are a lot of people in the arts here that, but God just blows any of the great artists away. There is nothing like God when it comes to the arts. And all of that, he says, you are his masterpiece. Wow. We want to live and own that. We want to start believing that. That even in the dead and trespasses and sins, why? It is because of Christ Jesus and what he did. That he cleansed us from all unrighteousness, from all sin. That he paid the price. That we can be before God as his masterpiece. It says, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And that's the vision part, too. We are a masterpiece to do something with it. We're not a masterpiece to sit in the corner and collect dust. God made you a masterpiece to fulfill your vision, to live your vision, and that's what this series is about, is to help you to get a clearer picture of that. We are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Sweet. Cool. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12. Because part of this, too, is how do you, have you, how do we keep believing this? You know, because you might get a little glimmer of it here you heard today, and you leave feeling a little, oh, I'm God's masterpiece, that feels good. But does it stay? (laughs) Let's talk about how we can get, we want to get to the place that we can live in this and own it. It can be our lifestyle that we believe this and walk it out. And that's the goal, really in fulfilling our vision and living our vision out. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 12. In verse 12, it says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all of the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so, is, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For the fact that the body is not one member, but, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? 
Now, don't you feel this way sometimes? Looking at somebody else, because I'm not that person, I don't matter. There's no room for me. Where do I belong? Where do I fit in? God's saying that's just as silly as the human body, because we are put in community. A big way, we are made to be the body of Christ. God did not want our walk with him or our walk with life or fulfilling our vision to be a lone solo walk. A lot of times people think that walk with God is just like being on a mountain alone or something without people. That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says that we are put in a community. Living out your vision is a part of being in the body of Christ that God designed. And mind you, the body of Christ is all around the world, everywhere, right? But each person is put in that body to be significant and to make a contribution. So part of how we see ourselves and our value and our worth and live out our vision is in community, in the body of Christ. So that's why he's using the analogy, because he calls us the body. There's a lot of things that help us understand how every part affects one another. Our lives and what we do and what we choose affects one another. So he's saying it's just as silly to think you don't count as if a foot says... If I'm not a hand, I don't count. That's just, you think that's silly, right? If a foot says, oh, I, I don't really, shouldn't be a part of this body right now. I'll just leave and do my own thing. Could you imagine that? In the body. I mean, I don't, you know. Yeah, a foot's going to get real far by itself, right? <laughs> not so much. But it's just as ridiculous. This is a figure of speech, which is funny. Um, it says, that doesn't mean, you could say it all you want, but it doesn't make you not part of the body. If that's how you see yourself or you diminish yourself, it still doesn't make it true about you. And it's just, it just holds you back from owning the part and the specialness that you play. To say that, I, that the part that I, that I play doesn't matter. It says, and then here we got another one in verse 16. If the ear says, well, because I'm not an eye. I'm not part of this body. And then it says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? Because a lot of times we'll look at somebody else and think, wow, they have a me, if, if, if only I had those gifts. If only I, whatever that was, whether it's more experience or what have you, gifts, talents, whatever it is, like think about what are the things that you have discarded yourself in a way because you were looking at somebody else thinking that what they brought to the party was better somehow. God says it's not true. You know, because eyes are awesome. Eyes are very awesome. But if there's only an eye, the body kind of sucks. Really, a human body, how great would it be if it was just one big giant eyeball? Would, honestly, the eye really wouldn't even be that cool if it was all by itself. <laughs> I mean, eyes are cool and everything, but if it's by itself, it's kind of disgusting. <laughs> I don't know. The picture to me, I'm like, not that useful, can't go anywhere, and all, pretty vulnerable. You know, just like not very useful. So this is what God's saying. This is a ridiculous idea. Say, oh, I wish I was the eye. It says... Uh, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? 
But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't have, I, I, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So this is another thing too is not only don't we want to discount ourselves, but we don't want to discount another person either. Sometimes we have a tendency to have, you know, if they're gifts that you can't relate to, to diminish those people too. You're an artist, you can't relate to an accountant. Your accountant can't relate to an artist. Or, you know what I mean? That's, God doesn't want that either. You know, that we have a value for one another and that and look at one another as being significant. And again, that we're not trying to say, oh, I don't need you, I'll just go at, at it by myself, that God made us to need one another. It is a godly thing. There's so much in our culture today about we sh you shouldn't need anybody. That's not true. I'm sorry, that's a lie. It's the Bible says the opposite. We need one another to walk with God. We really do. We God made us to be interdependent in a healthy way. To be blessed that, that we can't go it alone and that we need people that have other strengths that can be there for us, that's also a big part of how you see your value is in the contribution you have in community, in being together, that you are significant. That's how you see significance. So guess what? We need fellowship with one another to see God bigger. That's how we stay keeping clear on our unique gifts and owning that, that we are God's masterpiece. We need other people to say, wow, I'm so thankful for you. I don't know what I'd do without you. <laughs> More than once a week, we need fellowship. So, um, very exciting. And then it says, oh, I love this part. You're <laughs> um, I have no need. In verse 22, it says, No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. And our presentable parts have no need. So here's what I think. Um, about the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Or, or there's another version that says, seem to be more feeble. Like, so, you think about, in the human body, if you think about the, the most unglamorous role in the body, I think of the rectum. <laughs> Not a glamorous part, right? <laughs> Everybody's looking at me like, <laughs> hey, it's, it's, come on, think about that. If you want to think about what's the part you're going, oh, not my part. I'm telling you, I aspire to be as necessary as a rectum. <laughs> you know, think about, what would your body do without one? It would die. <laughs> your body would die without one. But you think about, I mean, just, that's what I think about. You gotta, when you look at God's word, you got to go, what would be the part that seems the least, the, more, the most feeble? That's what jumped in my brain. You know, I mean, some people think of the big toe, but I'm like, oh, yeah, that's fine. But, you know, you just think, it's awesome. I love that. Like, the part that, talk about one of the least, I don't know if there's a, anything less glamorous, but talk about necessary. I love that. You know, God really made, you know, I just, 
That's why I just sit there going, I want to own that, you know? That that's what I, it's just not, of being in a place where it doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside, we got something to give. We've got something to make a difference. Every part of the body matters a lot and is significant and is needed and is necessary. If you walk away, it's not like nobody's going to miss you. If you don't contribute and live out the vision that God's called for you, because each person, God's called to having an amazing vision. And as we talked about last week, God's vision for you is so much bigger than what you see yourself. I guarantee it. Because last week we talked about the fact that, you know, maybe it's just a lot of times the way that we relate is our vision is just getting through the week, just surviving, just doing a little bit better than where we're at right now. But God's made each and every person unique, one of a kind, with gifts that's irreplaceable and has a vision that's so much bigger then you can see for yourself, and you matter, and you have something to contribute, and you have something to make a difference. So the goal of this series, we're going to kind of take it step by step and get to the place of helping you to see the vision, get clear, because if you're not clear right now on where you want to go, that's okay. The whole point of the series is to help you to get a better picture of that for you, of how God's working, of what he's calling for you in your life as well as the fact that we're going to walk through the steps of how to walk that vision out for you. Because it's possible to get clear on that too. And in community, you can help one another to make that vision come, come to pass. That's why we actually are doing a, fellowship, um, a series in the fellowships as well, besides the Sunday service, because we have home fellowships all over that you can join in on, uh, that Chris will tell you about uh, a little later today but where we're actually working on this vision, these vision things with a workbook and a series that you can put what you're hearing on Sundays into practice and get people to help you with each step of the way. How exciting is that? So if you feel a little lost, it's okay because God can help with this to help you to get clear as well as walk in it out. There's some ways, oh, actually, let me just, um, yeah. Uh, So I want to, so thinking about this, in having a vision, a piece of this is getting clear that we are God's masterpiece. Getting clear that we're one of a kind, but also to a place that we receive the grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ, which next week we'll be focusing on with the Easter story, that we can really feel safe in looking at the bad parts too that we know that we're loved and that we have grace with that so that we can do something about it because it doesn't help in our self-image to be overly positive or overly negative. The Bible says we want to think soberly or in reality or balanced in that in order to live out your vision. So you don't want to minimize the good stuff about you and what's special and you don't want to just like ignore the bad stuff to move forward. So how do we do that in this? As we talked about some of the things in steps, because this is just sort of, I want to just kind of plant some seeds. It's not like, don't expect that you're going to leave here and you go, I'm good now on seeing myself. It is a process. It really is. It's a journey. It's a process. One of the things that you can do is ask God for help. And I want to actually, in a few minutes here, I want to pray together that we can all pray together to ask God to help us with that, to get clearer. Also, 
it's reading the word of God because didn't just even reading the scriptures today help you a little bit in seeing? You know, because if we can own what God says about us, because who knows better, you or God? I'm going to say God. About you. God, God is not in some fantasy land about you. He's not. It's not like when he says you're his masterpiece, it's not because he's delusional. He's not a delusional God. That's not why he says that. If God says it, we want to believe it. We want to get our hearts to the place that if God says this is true about me, I want to believe that because God is smarter than me. He made the heavens and the earth, and I didn't. You know, so I want to believe the creator of all life. So that's a piece of it, asking God to help with this in, in And then the other piece is in the word of God, reading God's word, because God's word is his will, and we can see what he says about us. So we want to dig into the word, and our fellowship series is called Feed Your Vision with God's Word, so that you can get into the word more and learning to walk out your vision. And then the third way to get clear on who you are is in the body of Christ. So one, ask God in prayer Two, the word of God. And number three, in the body of Christ, as we saw, that we're put in the body. And in that, we can see a clear picture. Also, because you're getting feedback from other people saying, I really need you for this. Where people can tell you so that, you know what you do to interrupt the harsh voices in your head? The voices that tell you you're not good or the voices that put you down? Because everybody's had those, right? I'm not the only crazy person, correct? The negative self-talk, the harsh voices are not reality. So how we come about those is putting other voices in our head that are more objective, like God's. We want to put that in our head. So it's God, you know, asking God for help in prayer, the word of God, as well as fellowship, because sometimes even other believers can give us input on things that we don't see in ourselves and help us with that in our vision. Okay, let me pray. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God for his goodness. Thank you so much, God, for your good. I can't believe you call us our, your, your masterpiece. That just blows my mind. I, it's, it is. It's just, I think about that. I go, really? Really, God? But you say it, and I want to believe that. I want to believe you, God. Right now, let's pray together. God, I just ask right now that you would help every one of us here to see ourselves more the way that you see us, God, because I know that that's reality, because you are wiser. You are wiser than me. You're wiser than all of us. Help us believe you, God, about ourselves. I love that you see all the flawed, broken things that are hard for us to look at, and that you love us just there, right, right in it, that you love us. That's amazing to me, God. And Jesus, I am so grateful that your love is so great that you gave your life and that the story of Easter and your sacrifice is the ultimate understanding that we are loved unconditionally by you, that you gave your all, that God, you gave the most precious thing to you, your son, Jesus Christ, for us, that that's how great your love is and that's how great your grace is. Help us to live in your grace and not the harsh voices. Help us to quiet them gently, the voices that we have that tell us that we're not enough, the voices that put us down, the voices that say, who do you think you are? 
to think that about yourself. Who do you think you are having a vision for your life? You're not good enough. You're not worth it. God, I know those are the lies from the devil who doesn't want us to live out our vision, that really wants to keep us down and from really living our lives to the full the way that you intended. Help us, God. Help us to reach for you and reach for others in the body of Christ to help quiet that and reach for your word to believe. So I want you right now to think and just to ask God right now to help just quietly in your prayers to help you in this path right now for your vision for your lives. To ask God to help you in places to make it clearer, to see yourselves for the what you're really worth to him. And invite God into this journey. Invite God into the journey of being a part of helping you with the vision for your lives. God, thank you for that. I'm excited. I'm blessed. I love you so much, God. I love you that we can have a life that's rich and full and meaningful and that we can include you in it in every step of the way. Thank you, God. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.